Hello, hoş geldiniz. Welcome to the third episode of the Drawing Court podcast. How are you? I hope you are well. I hope that if you are not well, that you are taking care of yourself. And I hope even more that this podcast can be a cozy and warm and maybe smiley and maybe hmm, interesting enough place that it can help you in your taking care of yourself. I hope you've had a good week. I hope that you made good on my promise to you last week that the previous seven days have been all for you and you did something with them that you enjoyed. Um, today's podcast is going back to Taoism that we were talking about last week because Yani, after every podcast, I've been filled with a lot of doubt about what it was I said, how I said it, whether I missed something out, um, all this second guessing. At the same time, I don't want to uh, edit a podcast or plan it too formally, so it's sort of part of the nature of it that it will be a little bit hard to pin down and... Uh, a little bit hard to feel like it's a complete finished piece every time. It's a kind of ongoing conversation that meanders and digresses and that's the point. But last week, this inconclusion, this lack of conclusion that I felt after talking about Taoism, while I'm happy with it, I also had this feeling afterwards of like, but I want to really grab hold of um, what I think about Taoism and share it with people. Something more radical, something to push this idea of uh, Taoism that we talked about last week into a space that promotes good mental health and can empower us in our uh, political struggles. That's what I want to grab hold of today. So this is a slightly more assertive podcast and in fact a slightly more planned podcast because I've already recorded this a couple of times. This is the third iteration because it wasn't right, you know? It wasn't a kind of watertight enough summation of my idea and my ideas. It just didn't work. Um, and this, is, this has happened in all three podcasts. I've had a bit of a period of attempting to record it. I, I said in the first episode I'd recorded that a couple of times, but it was too long. The second episode I spent a couple of hours starting and stopping and starting and stopping until it flowed in the, in the way that I was ha- in a way that I was happy with. So this is the kind of care that is going into creating your drawing. Um, and I feel like I'm just finding my way in a, how to talk. But also this week, I want to talk about a, tr- a sort of trickier to explain idea. And I'm gutted that I'm not the first person to use this term because I would be so proud of myself if I was. There are obviously at least a couple of people who are using this um, on the on the on that their internet, uh, and the, uh, the the name the name of my 
Shay. It's in the podcast. It's going to be in the podcast title, so it's not a fucking surprise. Uh, anarcho Taoism, a kind of fusion of anarchism and Taoism. This is what I want to explain today. And um, when I say anarchism, I mean something like uh, direct participatory democracy, where everybody is involved in governance. So it is self-governance rather than the governance of the people by another body. Um, That's what I mean when I say anarchism today. Anarchism today? Hey, drawing core, will you tell us about anarchism today? I can't tell you a whole great deal about anarchism or explain its intricacies or have a very complex discussion about it, but I can bring my idea of what it is. and I'm fusing it with Taoism today to explain anarcho-Taoism. Um, so yeah, there's, there's... Last week, we talked about simplicity. And we talked about um, how in its, in, in its simplicity, something or someone is in there natural power and I said that I didn't really like this word natural so I suggested essential power the thing that you get if you take away all of the layers of attachments and distinctions that we make and you get to the the root beingness like Winnie the Pooh's straightforward simple logic, he sees what's in front of him, he's not much distracted by those other layers. And this is following the Tao. This is letting things be, letting things go, going with the flow. Yanni. This is more or less what we talked about, Shay, last week. And the thing that I especially like about it is this not trying to take authority so not controlling we mentioned this last week so the ruler of the universe in his very simple straightforward logic is the most um, appropriate person to rule the universe simply because he is not doing much ruling I wanted to uh, explore this simplicity go a bit further so um, when we talk about simplicity as being a not controlling, I want to suggest, I want to suggest to you, friends, that uh, controlling is a key component of oppression. When we talk about oppression, we're talking about controlling. So we're talking about maybe controlling other people, which can be just manipulating people, it can be uh, exerting economic power or social power. It can be very, it can be simply violence. It can be wanting to destroy a person, which is like a very extreme form of control, you know. It can also be controlling the situation. So making things so that you, uh, or it doesn't have to be you, but making things so that someone is superior and someone is inferior and there is a control in this system 
so kind of systematizing the situation by exerting control. It can also be controlling yourself, like holding yourself to a, a holding yourself to account in a very judgmental way. So you know you don't feel good about yourself unless you can live up to this certain role that you've given yourself in the system because that way you are controlled. Um, we're going to explore this, right? So the first way is to go back to Winnie the Pooh and this is a really nice passage about Rabbit who is another character in Winnie the Pooh who is a rabbit and he is a bit of a caricature of this controlling mind. So I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it. It was going to be one of Rabbit's busy days. As soon as he woke up, he felt important, as if everything depended upon him. It was just the day for organising something, or for writing a notice signed Rabbit, or for seeing what everybody else thought about it. It was a perfect morning for hurrying round to Pooh and saying, very well then, I'll tell Piglet. And then going to Piglet and saying, Pooh thinks, but perhaps I'd better see Owl first. It was a captainish sort of day when everybody said, yes, Rabbit, and no, Rabbit, and waited until he had told them. He came out of his house and sniffed the warm spring morning as he wondered what he would do. Kanga's house was nearest, and at Kanga's house was Roo, who said yes rabbit and no rabbit, almost better than anybody else in the forest. But there was another animal there nowadays, the strange and bouncy Tigger, and he was the sort of Tigger who was always in front when you were showing him the way anywhere, and was generally out of sight when at last you came to the place and said proudly, here we are. No, not Kangas, said Rabbit thoughtfully to himself, as he curled his whiskers in the sun. And to make quite sure that he wasn't going there, he turned to the left and trotted off in the other direction, which was the way to Christopher Robin's house. After all, said Rabbit to himself, Christopher Robin depends on me. He's fond of Pooh and Piglet and Eeyore, and so am I, but they haven't any brain, not to notice. And he respects Owl, because you can't help respecting anybody who can spell Tuesday, even if he doesn't spell it right. But spelling isn't everything. There are days when spelling Tuesday simply doesn't count. And Kanga is too busy looking after Roo, and Roo is too young, and Tigger is too bouncy to be of any help. So there's really nobody but me, when you come to look at it. I'll go and see if there's anything he wants doing, and then I'll do it for him. It's just the day for doing things. So there we have Rabbit. And you can see how Rabbit's mind is controlling the situation by organising people, Yanni. Christopher Robin depends on me. He's fond of Pooh and Piglet and Eeyore, but they haven't any brain. He respects Owl. Kanga is too busy, Roo is too young, Tigger is too bouncy. I am superior. 
and you can see maybe how he's controlling and therefore oppressing himself because if you compare it to we mentioned last week about Winnie the Pooh he left his house and he was wondering which of his friends he could go and see and he thought how great it would be to see Piglet but also how great it would be to see Rabbit but also how great it would be to see Kanga and before he knew it he was back at his own house in time for some food and it was nice because there was always joyful relationing in his mind between him and his friends it would always be good to go and see them and then he realizes well not quite realizes but he demonstrates how also at peace with himself he is because he enjoys his own company and doesn't end up fucking going anywhere in the end rabbit on the other hand has all these negative constructions where he finds reasons not to go to his friends so this was very alienating for him and there's this winnie the pooh story where because he doesn't like tigger he tries to get Tigger lost in the woods so that when Tigger comes back and they find him, he'll be so relieved that he'll be much more calm and less bouncy. And what eventually happens is that Rabbit is the one that gets lost in the woods. So he loses himself in this desire to control the situation around him. So this is the kind of oppression that I think we do to ourselves and we do to others when we try and control. And Benjamin Hoff, the guy who wrote the Tao of Pooh, talks about uh, puritanical Christians who are very dogmatic. Don't do this, do that. We can also go back to thinking of Confucians we mentioned last week. And again, it's crude, but it's a very dogmatic philosophy. It was present in ancient China before Taoism, and it was don't do this, don't do that. I think we can also extend this to thinking about capitalists as a sort of abstract. Like there are these people walking around with big badges saying, hello, I'm a capitalist. But that capitalism, the way it systematizes things, encourages efficient productivity, puts people in a hierarchy, rewards some, exploits the labor of others. The system is working with a lot of control in order to maximize, maximize the economic output. And capitalism causes a lot of oppression. Um, from yani, people who don't have the means to afford a better quality of life in this country to people whose uh, forced labor keeps us in cheap clothes. Yani, I'm being crude again, but I don't want to be in discussion about anti-capitalism right now. Maybe we can do an anti-capitalism podcast. So many ideas. So, yeah, this control, this oppression, I think of it like this. We, when we are controlling, we are categorizing and separating. And then we define those categories and those separations. And when we do that, we say... You are like this. And anyone who's ever been stuck with any label, which almost pretty much everyone has been, whether it's a gender label or a sexuality label or a race label, it's 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 an injustice. It's a disrespect to your wholeness as a person to be just thought of under the category of one label. This is 
this is oppression so this is this is the the kind of thinking that Taoism is uh, freeing us from by coming to a simplicity rather than being overcomplicated by all this categorizing systematizing and definitions we let the world be we let things go we uh, accept and I think I had a I had a quote uh, let's see if I can get it up now um, it's quite a nice one so it says take it that you are not going anywhere but here and that there never is was or will be any other time than now simply be aware of what actually is without giving it names and without judging it for you are now feeling out reality itself instead of ideas and opinions about it so this is the opposite you know this is not even giving things names and then obviously you can't judge because you don't separate or define you have no opportunity to impress oppress you are feeling out reality this is connecting to that essential power of the simplicity reality is this is our essential power free of names free of judgments there is a nice there's a nice little um these are say parables delivered by Taoist or Buddhist monks sometimes they're so esoteric uh, it's just very very strange like very hard to get your head around sometimes at, at least from from for me, for me but there's one that I, I remember stuck with me and it was it was simply uh, uh, the story of a Zen master or a, a respected yogi uh, a spiritual teacher um, asking his pupils what at this moment is lacking the idea being that nothing is lacking you are essentially there and powerful and we just complicate things in our heads so let me take this out of Winnie the Pooh and into a more serious realistic situation so there is a book I'm holding here called Asking For It by Louise O'Neill who's a writer from Ireland and um, it's a wonderful book that I would like to recommend uh, especially to people who will not have experience of this issue for other people it could be very triggering it's quite a brutal book explicit book harsh book um, very honest you know this is the reality people should be talking about it it's about the rape of uh, an 18 year old girl and I'm not going to go into any details any explicit things right now I'm not going to talk about that um, but what it does really well I think is show the pervasiveness of the rape culture in which we live even internalized the character of Emma the main character of the book who experiences this horrible um, violence it's all written in, from her perspective 
and you can see in the beginning before the incident happens and then a large part of the book is focused on the aftermath in the beginning you can see how she is playing this controlling game everyone is either superior or inferior everyone is categorized systematized defined and there's a great deal of oppression that is working on her and on others and you the great thing about this is you get the sense that you know she's not the one doing this she is adapting to the situation in which she lives like for example uh, she uh, her brother tells her that the outfit she's wearing is too revealing and that she seems like a slut using it in a very negative sense of the word and then she points to an FHM poster on FHM is a men's magazine FHM poster on his wall with a topless woman saying you know what about this and he says no that's different and so you see her living under this double standard like these two levels of oppression on one level there's women a woman as a sexualized object who is different you know it's not not a real person that's a sex object and on the other hand she's not allowed to express her sexuality by wearing this revealing dress she should be yanni basically she shouldn't be sexual and her navigation of those two things like how to be sexual because it has this power and yet how not to be accused of being a, uh, a slut or used as a sex object trying to play this game like you feel so sorry for this person and in the end I mean yeah, you can imagine but what happens is that what, what the sense you get is like from the very beginning like when the events in the book are a long way from the actual instance of violence she is still unable to give proper consent because she's so much focused on this game of control this kind of social positioning this social hierarchy that she is totally alienated from the reality of what she's doing and the consequences it will have it's kind of heartbreaking that she thinks like this and I'm going to read you a little bit from the book because it would be really nice to share something from it to you it's a very the, the thing that I'm getting at here is is throughout the book and it builds this idea builds slowly so it's hard to pick out a passage that really illustrates it but I've tried to find the best I can so Emma main character she is with a guy who she wants is attracted to and is about to kiss and then she called Jack and she's interrupted by her friend Ali so she's thinking the build-up that moment just before you finally kiss that's always better than the actual sex during sex I'm thinking about what I look like trying to make sure the other person is having a better time with me than they did with the last girl and of course even before they come I'm wondering how I'm going to make them keep their mouth shut about what we did or didn't do. Emma. It's Ali tapping my shoulder. Why is it? I'm sorry, okay, 
I really need your help. I press my lips together tightly, but I don't want to seem like a shitty friend in front of Jack, so I follow her out the room. So that was just a small bit, but I hope it gives you some idea of this controlling mind that is sort of Emma's downfall. And I, I want to stress that it's not something that she is in control of. The book very wonderfully gives us this picture of the world around her that has shaped her mind to do that kind of thing. You feel like there's this character who is trying to escape that but doesn't know how. So, if we think about this simplicity, if we could take Emma's mind, if we could peel away those layers of segregating, controlling, seeing herself as either inferior or superior, if we could take away any any rules and doctrines of social situations that she is concerned about and say like now you are and see that now she is in touch with her essential power you can I think maybe you can see like from that position she would be in a very she would be able to consent because she would be in touch with how she feels and what she wants rather than absorbed in this other social game which takes which steals her agency from her and exploits her ability not to uh, ex exploits her inability to give consent so if we can do that that would be good I think that's a kind of like how we bring Taoism to this discussion and say like it's a helpful tool for us to extract ourselves from these systems of oppression. But the problem, the contradiction I almost find in Taoism is that doing this, stripping away everything, can lead to inaction. And I think this is, again crudely, but where it differs from Buddhism. Because m uh, my idea of Buddhism, I think particularly Zen Buddhism, and I'm not uh, very well informed on this distinction but Buddhism sees the world as more of a suffering place and you need to have an ascetic life like a life where you kind of cut yourself off from all your attachments in order to reach an enlightened place and there are examples, there are people, there are teachers who as much as I could respect I think they are too extreme in this, like personally I want to be able to act, whereas they seem to be practicing such inaction, such simplicity, that they are not involved in a way like, I, I want to be involved in the world. I want to act upon it. So the question is kind of, how do I reconcile that? And I want to read another passage about um, uh, Alan Watts and... Uh, it, it goes. It goes that Alan Watts was fond of um, a saying in in uh, one of the Taoist texts, which is something like, "Govern the country as you would fry a small fish, lightly." But it should be understood 
that Alan never saw Taoism in human affairs as a flabby, irresponsible, lackadaisical manner of things. The stream does not merely move downhill. The water, all moisture, transpires from the earth, streams, rivers, the ocean, to the upper air, a breathing out. And then there is the breathing in, when the moisture is returned downward as dew, as rain. A marvellous cycle, a living interaction. Nothing controlling anything, no boss, yet all happening as it should. What you see here is that inaction expressed as so much action. And Taoism, I think, does a good job of containing this contradiction and the simple and the complex, like the simple fact of like, this is just water and the complexity of the different stages that this water goes through, the journey it makes. They are folded into themselves. And, in, and, and as they fold in, we say this is the essential power of the water. It is both complex and simple. But we don't try and yani, control it. Those kind of complexities are not what we want. And if we don't impose that and we let things be and let them be simple, then what we can, um, what we hope to see in Taoism is something that's called a mutual rising where things individual things that are allowed to be rise together and they mutually complement each other like an ecosystem like how things circulate in nature like the marvellous cycle of the water all the different parts working together and they can do that because individually they are just being and they are just Shay being their essential power. So here's where I want to relate it to anarchism because <clears throat> if everything is just being its essential power that's what we might call self-determination. This is when Emma can give consent. This is when Rabbit is not worried about the reasons not to go and visit his friends. It's when Pooh has so many reasons to visit his friends that he's just happy whatever happens, even if it means he doesn't visit any of them. Because he is self-determined. Emma can be self-determining and it's a kind of, I think, my understanding of anarchism, self-determination is a, is, a, is a principal tenant of that. And the thing about anarchism people uh, uh, sometimes misunderstand is that, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a self-governance. So there is still the yeah, only governance. There is still work to do uh, with a ranging society. It's not anarchy in the sense of chaos, it's anarchy in the sense of people working together, participating in their democracy. Just like all those self-determined being 
parts of nature that mutually rise and work together to create a functioning ecosystem, to create a marvelous cycle. If we as humans were doing that, mutually rising, because we are self-determined, but, but acting like the water acts by going through so many stages, that's when we have self-governance. That's when we have direct participatory democracy. That is, my friends, anarcho-Taoism. That's 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 my take. That's my anarcho-Taoism. Um, there's a couple of maybe side notes that I could uh, mention. One is when we talk about uh, action in 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 action in inaction. What comes to my mind is, um, ironically, because I'm doing a podcast now where it's only my voice, what comes to my mind is how sometimes in conversation there can be one voice, often the, the person who is more privileged, uh, they, who is dominant. And it happens very naturally because uh, the dominant discourse tends to reproduce and fortify itself by being repeated and internalized you won't necessarily notice this but as say a straight white man maybe you talk a lot maybe you should be a bit more quiet or maybe you don't realize in fact that some people talk uh, a lot more than others because they have more space to do so they have more privilege to do so they are more dominant um, so when you say action in inaction, I think about being quiet because I try to I try to be aware of how much space I'm taking when I talk, and sometimes not. Sometimes shut the fuck up because there are other people who want to talk, and by talking so much you dominate. So yeah, this is a side note. That's a discussion point. I'm not going to go further with it there. The second thing is about the chaos. There's a, there's a principle in Taoism which is also chaos. And chaos of nature might seem wild, but in fact, like, there's a harmony to it. And you see that, like, ecosystems, environments, marvelous cycles renew themselves and all the different components work together. Similarly, people think anarchism is anarchy in the sense of chaos whereas anarchism is quite a an active participatory democracy like i said you know it requires in fact quite a lot of organization like in order to have no systems you have to have quite a good system of no systems something like this i don't want to be the person to explain anarchism right now maybe we do a, another podcast on what i understand about anarchism but yeah, there's a reflection, I think, of this in the Taoist idea of chaos and the way that um, we understand the word anarchy. And the third side point is the I Ching. And uh, you can also think about tarot cards or other ways of uh, oracles or, uh, say, fortune tellers might have used um, different mechanisms of reading uh, spiritual messages 
and what's quite nice about uh, what, what I think can be nice about this is seeing it rather than um, dismissing it with skepticism and cynicism as nothing accepting that yeah it is nothing on its own but our unconscious or conscious mind uh, finds meaning in it and so this is the inaction or the great nothing which is another concept in Taoism that we haven't had time to talk about there is a great nothing there is an inaction but by self-determining by being in touch with our essential power which we could think of as our unconscious mind if we are reading um, reading for telling fortunes reading prophecies our unconscious mind projects meaning onto it uh, and and that's that's the action in the inaction if you see what I mean so that's the third time uh, I hope that I don't listen back to this and think nah mate that's fucking still confusing um in any case, I might not have another chance to record, so this might be a, a confusing podcast that you have to enjoy. Um, but, uh, yeah. Don't know what we'll talk about next week, but I hope that you'll come back. I hope that if you like it, you'll share it with someone else, because I'm not doing anything really to promote this right now. I'm putting my effort into creating something nice and interesting to listen to. Um, so, please tell someone else if you like it, that'll be grand. And uh, I'm going to leave you with a song called It Ain't Over Till the Fat Lady Turns to Pixels by Spongebob Squarewave, who is a producer from Sheffield, who is a wonderful, amazingly talented musician. And this song is similar to the first one in the first episode by Mocket. It's Breakcore. And I'm introducing this song now, not related to what we talked about this week, but it's I think my favourite song, which is, you know, like, that's, you know, that's, that's a thing there, that's, that's a statement there, favourite song. Um, I'd like to talk about this kind of music and what I think is valuable about it as a cultural artefact, how it can be used in terms of, say, politics or cultural commentary, um, and to do that. Uh, I'm going to slowly feed you songs until you already agree with me before I defend it. Uh, so this podcast is all a big Trojan horse for you to like my music. That's the, that's the main aim here. So uh, in the spirit of that, please enjoy the song. Um, it's a bit fast. It's a bit party song. Uh, so if you're not feeling party mood now, if you're just about to go to sleep, you can duck out here. And maybe in the morning, fancy a bit of bit of energy-giving song with your breakfast. Um, thank you so much for listening. Take care. This has been a bit longer, I think, than uh, normal. So thanks for sticking it out. I hope that it was interesting for you. Let me know what you think if you listened. Shay, op yorum sizi. Hadi bye bye.